Hey, we noticed we've been in Psalms, right? Through the summer. So, well, your summer, not my summer, but anyway, through summer. Uh, we've been in Psalms, and it's really a powerful collection that God has assimilated within the Old Testament. Your Bible is, practically speaking, is, is in two sections, if you would. The Old Testament that tells of the condition of humanity, the character of God, His answer for your issues, which is oriented around man's rebellion. Man rebelled against God. And then God then brings this resolution. He brings it through what's spoken of as the Messiah. So the Old Testament gives us the genealogy, the ancestral line of the Messiah. It directs us to the New Testament. The New Testament is where we see this Messiah in human form, Jesus himself. So the New Testament has all these details about how, how Jesus lived and what his purpose was and everything accomplished. So do you see they're not separate and standing alone, but they're rather synchronized. Without the one, you'll, without the Old Testament, you'll be confused about some of the very purposes and mission of Jesus. Or if you focus too much on the Old Testament, you're going to find yourself looking to try to live by a law that was never meant to make you perfect. It was actually designed to bring about the self-realization that you would understand you are not perfect. The law was a tutor, a schoolmaster, to bring us to the awareness that we need the Messiah. So it's awesome how it's assimilated between the old and new. But in, inside the Old Testament, we have the worship book for Israel, some call it. The book of Psalms, 150 chapters. Within that, I, I call it the heart cry for Christians, because the, the literary style within the Psalms, we have poetry. But within that, not just exclusively poetry, we have history. We also have instruction. The content un unveils comfort. It brings hope. It generates praise and exaltation. So I've, I've loved going through it. You know, I mean, there's 150 Psalms. You're not going to cover it in a summer or a season of summers, or a whole year, quite honestly. There's a lot there. So I've enjoyed being able to just pray and just dig in as, as I've sensed the Lord would make a, a particular psalm the, the focus. The psalms, 150 of them, 67 of them, are categorized as psalms of lament, which is interesting. Not only do we have those that fit in that category, so to speak, one third of the, more than one-third of the psalms, the majority of the remaining 83 psalms, they, they have prayer, or there's this petition, or a recognition of the need of God, or, or need of God's deliverance during a time of trial or hardship. So that, that's a lot, Agreed? I mean, that's a lot that's about this, this term, this topic, this thought of lament. Lament is not a word that you and I use in our contemporary language on a regular basis. Many of us are familiar with it, or maybe we've researched a little, a little bit. But to lament is to mourn, to grieve, to sorrow. To be distraught and cry out, it involves wailing, if you would, a, a situation or a experience in your life that is so functionally overwhelming that you can't resolve it yourself, that you have no hope, so to speak, and you look outside of yourself for some type of relief or hope, something. So to lament it involves experience and expression. 
See, if we have an experience and we have no way to express what we're going through, we, we kind of tend to get really, really overwhelmed and, and really subdued. Uh, lament is a hardship and a heart cry. It's not necessarily a surprising experience, but it's a deeply painful experience that is expressed by lamenting. What do I mean? Well, there are some situations that we lament or that we mourn that our logic understands it. When my grandma passed away, old people do that. Have you noticed that? And seriously, it made, it made sense logically. I understood her condition. I realized her, her frailty. But your emotions don't give a rip about your logic. Your, your emotions are not lying. They don't have to give in to logic. Logic says, well, you know, you, under, you knew it was coming. You understood it would happen. But the tears... Don't care. Is that way to help you see it? Now, what's important is we understand we need both. We need that emotion and that understanding. But we've got to realize they're not trying to synchronize. They're both part of our experience. And so when we lament, we're going through something really difficult, really hard, almost unexplainable. Within the Bible, we have two types of lament. And it's actually not just within Scripture, but the human experience can be categorized this way. There's um, what they call communal, common, or national, per se. When a crisis was upon Israel, they would lament. They were called to mourning and grieving. An example of that, in your Bible, you have a book that's titled there in the Old Testament, Lamentations. Lamentations is a lament over something that had happened to the nation. The Babylonian, you know, people had destroyed Jerusalem. They wiped out Solomon's temple because Israel had turned to idolatry and disobedience. The consequence of that was this national crisis. And so there was this lamentation, this lamenting. Jeremiah is probably the person that was penned through. Interestingly enough, we, this country, as a nation, we have plenty of reason to lament before God as well. When we consider the current state of immorality and depravity in our nation, our heart should be crying out to God. Sadly, we become numbed by the... I actually think of it as we're numbed by numerics. And what I mean is, you just hear certain things so much you subconsciously start buying into it. You actually inadvertently start kind of coddling it a little bit, catering to it to some degree. And that's even happening not just as a nation. It's even the Christians within that nation and within this world. Let me share with you just a little bit. I'm not trying to push buttons. I'm just going to share reality of, of some of these things that verify some of the things our nation is approving. Recently, I've spoken very boldly and very clearly about an issue that has been turned into a different issue. I spoke specifically. I spoke, I believe, kindly and compassionately about when life begins. When life begins is a very important decision to make because we want to know when life begins, and that helps us to think through what is life and to some measure who decides when it ends, right? Right? But we're, as a culture, we've been so distracted into a secondary topic called abortion, claiming that this is the issue. 
And because I took a strong stand, and I don't believe, it's not my stand. I don't like pick ones to get, you know, punched for. The truth is, I just, this is what God says, that we value life. Within the, the gathering, within the church family, people left. And people, I, you know, I, I get this engagement and this, you know, like Dan, Dan needs to be more considerate of the state of our current generation and, and our contemporary issues. I don't think I'm inconsiderate. I don't think you are, because I had many of you like, I'm so glad you spoke clearly about that so we knew where, where everything was at. It's much better to give clear instruction than to give cloudy misdirection. I would rather have somebody say, listen, you need to stop driving towards Twin Falls. Not that that's hell, but did you stop driving to Twin Falls because you told me you would like instruction and direction to get to Boise. And you're going, the, so if they say to you, I don't want to tell him he's went the wrong way. It's going to hurt his feelings. We're not going to, it's going to interfere with our relationship. Let's not, I'm, you know, Dan, what you, I would like you to let me know how you feel about this. But the current road you're on, there's some other options. And you might consider some of those because it's going to help you get to where one of your places of destination and desired destination will be. It'll help you eventually. What would you do with that information? You would go, excuse me, what are you talking about? But if someone says, excuse me, you're going the wrong way. And that's going to lead to heartache. That's going to lead to a lot of challenges. You need to turn around. Well, why do I mention that? I'm not, I say I'm not push button, taking hot topics and stirring people up. Well, kind of am, but not, that's my goal. That's not my goal. The reality is we start absorbing things and saying it's okay. In a society that's obsessed with sexuality and what's common is to become accepted, we, we are not unaccepting. I am not intolerant to the current state of our culture. I just will not endorse it. Agreed? We, we are very patient, very passionate, very loving as a people because we speak directly. But we, weren't, we will not lie to someone and say it's okay. It's not okay. It's, it's terrible. The things that people do. I got, I got focus at Daniel Son. I hear Mr. Miyagi's voice every now and then. You remember Mr. Yuck? Is that still a thing? Anybody? It's a little sticker you put on poisonous stuff so kids didn't go glug, glug, glug with the Drano. You know what I'm saying? It was Mr. Yuck. You knew don't drink this. Well, you don't say something's okay when it's not okay because it's only, well, it, it won't hurt them very much. Well, poison is poison. Okay, a little sip here now and then. That's what I'm talking about, addressing these issues. And why do I say it into this time of lament? Because we, we've got to stop saying it's okay, but yet engage in such a way that we can convey the truth. We cannot give in. We should be lamenting, quite honestly. We should be brokenhearted about the state of the nation, not taking a right-wing, righteous, self-started political position over here that promotes our opinion. Oh, quit it. I think we should just say, wait a minute, this is just wrong in the word of God. Word of God says, this is what we need to see. Lament over the people. Have God give us a heart to reach out to people. That's a national reality, but all the national and communal lamenting is done by individuals, correct? It wasn't like they collectively, you know, read the same thing and it was just, you know, non-willful. Two types of lament I'd mentioned. Communal, I've just touched on, and individual or personal. Individual or personal is a part of the human experience. 
It's unavoidable. It's experiencing deep loss, grief, loneliness, hardship. This experience prompts a crying out, a groaning, a wailing of the soul, an expression. And so when, not if, but when you go through these things, how do we deal with it? See, I'm going to finish with this, and then we're going to pray. It's actually the way I planned it. I'm not just ranting. I'm intentional here. You will go through it. Our culture... And we can, we can hit rewind a little bit and study history a little bit. And we have this concept. It's, it's categorized, but it, it's what we would know, know as in, in, in a sense of uh, a frame of thinking called Western civilization. Western civ, is way of thinking. Well, just think about this. You and I have been in that way of thinking, you know, all of our lives. And our, our parents and grandparents, and we're going back quite a ways. Western civilization, mindset and core, loves people, wants to help, wants to bring relief, wants to bring hope. We want to fix things, correct? I think that's very accurate and even gracious. So when someone's going through hardships, what do you want to do according to your normal way of thinking? You're you're loving and you're kind and you want to help them. You want to fix it. But some of these things aren't fixed in the sense of removed. We can come alongside, we can help endure, but we can't remove the mourning and the grief and the loss and the hurt. We can't remove it. Do you see why that's a complexity in our theology? Because of our deep thinking that, okay, well, if you do right, right things happen. If you do good, good things happen. And sometimes bad things happen, but you know, you'll get better. And maybe we'll want to throw money at something to fund something or help something or talk to someone or offer them a suggestion or issue them a prescription or smoke something for them with them. Who knows? Whatever your means of trying to bring relief. And we have to stop sometimes. I listen, we do not know how to mourn. We do not know how to grieve. We're a culture that wants to fix it, not go through it. And it's better to own that. But the Bible teaches us how to go through that and the benefit even of doing that. So please pray with me as before we dig into our passage. God, all these things to realize and understand that in this life, we will have tribulation. But with you by our side, with you teaching us your ways, with you carrying us through, it changes everything, Lord. And so as we would endeavor to comprehend and grasp, free us from any philosophy or way of thinking or tradition or the way we understand life and people and motives and stuff. If that's an interference, could you just liberate us, at least for today, for this moment, that we would take hold of the truth that you have for us, the richness from your word, that we would be people shaped by you knowing that you never leave us nor forsake us, that in hardship, in heart cry, in difficulty beyond our logic, you are faithful, Lord. Teach us your word this morning. Walk us through. I pray for anyone who's just going through these things beyond what you ever would have imagined, a pain and a suffering and a hurt. As you're going through it, just ask the Holy Spirit even now, help me in this time. Help me to receive what word would be said. Help me to know what you would have me to know. And for those, Lord, that even aren't here today, 
We know that there's some that are just, it's really tough right now. And I pray they would be growing in their knowledge of your presence, that they would be impacted by your grace in such a way that they would be refreshed, even experience relief, that the light of your truth would shine upon the darkness of their heart and hope would be enlightened. Truth would be known. God, touch those who are needing you the most and use us if any way possible to extend your love, to make a phone call, to write a letter, to send a text, to encourage in some way people to draw closer to you, to know you more, Jesus. Teach us this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go to Psalm 13. I've titled this message, Strengthen Through Sorrows. If we're going to be strengthened through sorrows, there's some essentials. If, there are, if we're going to be growing through grief, there are some things we can glean. And it's not just a cool outline or, you know, something to put together. It's literally from Scripture. With all these passages and all these portions of the Bible addressing grieving, addressing hurt and sorrow and truth of this life, we see a structure and a consistency through these many psalms. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to bring five points to you as we go through it. But first, let's read Psalm 13. Psalm 13, David, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As I mentioned, let's walk through these five points that are present not only in this passage we've selected, but in other portions of Scripture speaking of lamenting. The first thing I would draw your minds to consider and realize is turning to God. To be strengthened through sorrows, it requires that we turn to God. And that may seem obvious, but it's not always obvious. Sometimes the stress and the reality of what it is, we know what to do, but for some reason, we just can't seem to do it. We just can't seem to look up. We just can't seem, as we try to, we, it's more burdensome. I want to encourage you because your longing for God is actually a response. It's not something you initiate. My turning to God is actually responding to his calling to me and to you. In those hard times, it's not easy logically to say, you know, I just need to go to church. I need to go to prayer. I need to be in the word. You, you could see that, but the emotion would step, top, keep you from doing that. But when you say, Lord, I need your help. Jesus does say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But we know he also brought the gospel to us while we were still sinners. So it's so important to see we're actually responding to him. It takes some pressure off yourself to perform in order to come out from under this cloud of gloom. Just say, Lord, I, I need you. We've sang it many times, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And to be able to just formulate that, not only in a thought, but a cry of the heart, heart will be turned to God. And you see David, he's turning to God. He doesn't have everything worked out. 
How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? <laughs> Can you relate to this one? I mean, seriously, here's what we would say. Uh, I'm in this building, and uh, I'm guessing plaster sheetrock must be kryptonite because my prayers can't get past there. They are not entering into the grace and the throne of heaven. For some reason, I've been bringing this up, God, and nothing's happened. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me? Did, did God forget David? No, no. So David has this sense, however he had phrased it, this feeling, this perception, that you've forgotten me. How long will you hide your face from me? Do you think God's going... We know that's not true. David's conveying this sense of relationship that I, I just, it just feels to me like you've looked away from me, that you, you're unresponsive to me. And every single Christian that I know, if you've been a Christian more than a year, maybe even weeks, but definitely when you've been there for decades, you know this. You're aware of this. There's times that you just, you just wonder, I'll pray, but didn't work in the past, doesn't work now. So here's the first part, turn to God. And the second point is seemingly simple and obvious is talking to God. See, this is a pretty interesting dialogue, well, monologue, because we're not seeing God's response in the, in the, recorded in this. Look at what he's saying. God, seriously, do you not hear me? Now, here's something I want you to understand, and, and we all want to know as we, as, we, as we talk to God it has to be like this, transparent, which means just not guarding it. But it also must be reverent and respectful. So David is not irreverent. He's not saying to God, listen, I don't like the way the world's going. I don't like the loss I'm suffering. You owe me an explanation. There's no ultimatum given to God. And I know it seems humorous, but we, we do that. We're just not that brass. We have Christianese language to make it look softer, but the cry of our heart is, you done me wrong, and you owe me an explanation. And repent from that. Back away. Like, God, I, I feel that, because you just will admit it, right? Well, if I don't admit it, God won't know it. Uh, really? <laughs> he won't know it if I don't admit it? Uh, that's an interesting concept. But I'm only like, God, I'm sorry. I, just, I, 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 don't, I don't mean that. I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. You see, reverence is so important. Reverence is, is a healthy fear of God, not because you're afraid he'll do something irrational or unpredictable, but because you want that relationship so much, you don't want to lose it. You, don't want to, you just want a closeness. Reverence and respect. And, and the wording here, you can define it no other way. It's a complaint. Is David being complimentary to God? Here, good God, you always do good. Everything is good. Jesus loved me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's not what David's doing. He's complaining. And you'll see through, throughout the, the Psalms of Lament, a complaint is a part of it. Now that you see the context of how you would complain. Respectfully and irreverently, you're opening your heart. God, I just don't understand this. It looks like everybody who's contrary to you is successful and I'm being punished. It looks like as I try harder, as I try to be, do the right thing, it just isn't working. We're told in Isaiah uh, chapter 1 in verse 18 is, is Isaiah is trying to figure out what God's showing him. And, and God says this really powerful thing. He says, come now, let us reason together, 
You and I, thus saith the Lord. And he goes on to talk about the reality of sin and the cleansing work of the cross. But catch that first part. Come now, let us reason together, you and I, God says to humanity. Let, let, let's just, could this just talk about this? Not, not publicly, corporately, where we could collectively kind of gang up on God. But where you just intimately, personally, and lovingly say, God, I, I don't get it. Why is this happening? I don't understand. And, and being willing to just open up. We see also in Isaiah 43, verse 26, it also invites discussion. We see recorded in the Old Testament book of Job, where Job brought his opinion to God. Now, what do you know about Job? The life you prefer, you pray for that type of experience in life? No, no, exactly. If you, read, if you, if you inadvertently said yes, you, did, you, you didn't read that actual book. <laughs> Job went through more hardship. It's, dis- it's the most disturbing life experience in the Bible. You read that and you wonder like, why did God do this? What kind of chess game is going on? What kind of pawn are we actually? And you get really confused until you realize God said, bring me your opinion. And Job starts kind of expressing a little bit. Well, you know, and actually, and then this. And, and God's like, all right, Job. Man, those are good points. I'm glad you're connecting. I, I do have one thing I want to ask you, though, Job. So, you know, when I spun the world into existence, when I broadcast the stars to their place, when I made the Pleiades, when, when I created the Leviathan, the behemoth of the land, and all these creatures, were you front row or back row? Third seat to the right, were you third seat to the left? I'm just kidding, where were you when I did this? And it's kind of an interesting dialogue, because God's not demeaning Job, He's just helping him realize, know the relationship. As you come and reason and say, I don't get it. Why is this happening to me? Nevertheless, you are God. Nevertheless, you know things I don't know. You are, I can't get past, okay, God, reverence and respect as we engage with transparency. We've turned to God, and he invites us to talk to him. And don't be shy about complaining in the proper way. I hope you understand that. The Bible's got a lot of complaints in the Psalms. But there's also a process. It doesn't stop at the complaining. It goes from turning to God and talking to God to relying on God, or we could say even trusting God. Trusting God. Learning to lean on Him in desperate times. Growing close to God, even when our thoughts want to accuse and blame him, to rely on him. It's easy when there's no difficulty, agreed? Marriage is fine, the income is good, kids are kids, life's okay. But what about when all those things start spinning out and and things aren't lining up, like it just starts varying and, and it's in ways that you never seen coming and through heartache and hardship you never thought you'd go through. And all of a sudden, it's like, how do we trust God? Are we relying on God? He's not putting us through those things just to see what we got. He's taking us through those things to show us who he is, to help us, because we're going to go through hardship in this life. You will go through difficulty. If I was to say, hey, we're going to deal, we're going to do a five-week series on dealing with hardships and how to go through it, and we're going to just look forward to trials and difficulties... We could probably use a smaller building for those five weeks. Pretty sure of it. Who wants to go to hear that? You'd rather hear love, kindness, patience, blessing. But let's face it, you're going through things and you will go through things. And it's so important that we learn to trust God. 
we know, you know, many of you have memorized and even read this passage in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't find your security, your balance, your, your leaning post, your own understanding. Is it possible that there's some things in this life that I will not understand? Yeah, that's a no-brainer, huh? So if I'm leaning on my own understanding when I don't understand something, I'm, I don't have, I, I like to think of it as a crutch, our own understanding, because it's visual. If you've ever had like a bum leg and you're on a one-leg stick called a crutch and you're leaning on it, but your buddy took the wing nut off where the leg hooks up, adjusted it down on one notch lower and left it loose. So you lean on it and all of a sudden it wiggles and wobbles and you tip over. It's a real vivid picture of leaning on our own understanding in trials and hardship. Trust in the Lord. See, relying on God, we learn that through these difficult days, through hardship, through hard times. Moving on to our fourth point, we've had turning to God, we've looked at talking to God, relying on or trusting God, believing he is God, believing he is God. We don't frame it in our conscious expression this way, but there's sometimes he was God. At that youth event, decades ago for some of you, at that particular time, at that moment, at that crisis, you've seen the hand of God in your life. You understood. It was a breakthrough moment, a, a revelation from the Lord about his provision, his presence. Wow. But that was then, and this is now. And it's so important, so essential that we're believing he is God, speaking of the present tense. We're believing that he is God. Let me tell, give you a, a passage to consider for that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, meaning he is God, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So believing God means that he actually hears. You know, we, 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 it's not possible to please him unless we impart a measure of faith, which has to come after we I considered relying on God or trusting God. Because faith is an element of trust growing. The, the faith, believing in God in that sense, they're, they're kind of intertwined, agreed? Faith is not just fuzzy concept that Oprah prints. Faith is a reality, and it's a growing thing that we experience and that we express. And as we take one step, we take another step, and we, we start to grow. Believing that he is God. There was a point in my life, um, so I've been a Christian for over 30 years. So there was a point in my life where I, I just got started. It's what you, others, thought the scripture would say, I was born again. I don't have a born-again experience like some have. I finally picked a date, a week. I was born again the last week of February, this 1988 or whatever it was. Why did I do that? 
Because all these Christians kept coming up. Well, when are you born again? When's your birthday? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't have that experience. Some people have this experience where when they come to Christ, there's an understanding that involves emotion and logic and reality and truth. And they're like, oh. They may speak in tongues or there may be some other experience. It's awesome. It's just not mine. I didn't have that. I kind of felt like I was a secondary, like blue light special Christian because I didn't get the, the, the full price thing, you know? I'm like, and I started realizing, well, when were you born again? When were you born again? I'm like, like last week of February. Oh, cool. But nobody really, I thought that was kind of humorous, but that's a sidebar. So why am I mentioning this? Well, because that season was a sense I couldn't explain it. That was a time when I would say it this way. It's like, there's this weight taken off. Like there's this, this peace. I don't know how to explain it. And I really didn't because doctrinally I didn't have any understanding, but I had the truth of, of his forgiveness. So as I'm working through all that and kind of sorting it out, weeks turn into months, turn into years, turn into decades. Well, back then I believed that he is God. And as I prayed for provision financially, as I prayed for wisdom relationally, as I sought him for how to deal with grief and hurt and all these things, he, he responded and now I have experience. But you know, sometimes experience can sometimes rob your vitality or your expectation. It should be the other way around. But sometimes we get in a groove. We go to church regularly. We do certain things. We hang around to nice people. We do stuff that's, that's just moderate and it's okay. But are we expecting? Do you believe that God is the God of your needs right now? I know what I'm telling about 30 years ago for me. But you're right now. Do, is what you're facing bigger than the God of creation? It seems to be. But historically, if you've been a Christian for very long, you see, oh, no, no, he had something much bigger in my life, and he handled it. And I went through this relational disaster, and I went through this tough time, and I handled these things not because I knew what to do, but because he's faithful. I believe he is God. And I think sometimes we have to consciously open the door, so to speak, for faith to grow. Believing that he is God, because I want to please him. I don't believe I have to perform to him. I don't have to come show up every Sunday and do something for him. I believe I get to do things that are a way by a means by which I can grow closer to him and encourage others to do like so, likewise. He is a responder. He, he, as we seek him, he shows us things we would have never seen if we would not have sought him. Do you agree with that? When we, he calls us to him and we turn to him and look, we see things that we would not have seen if we're looking the other way. This is not a deep theological moment. This is a reality. It's like, I see, and then as you see something, like, oh man, I, I kind of want to taste that a little more. I want to see a little more of that. And as I start that direction, I get to looking left or right. And I have to sometimes say, you know, I, I want to impart faith in my life now. I want to be encouraged by the faith of the past and the things he's done so beautifully, but I want to expect and desire and, and look forward to what he'll do now, believing that he is God. Leading us to the last point for our outline, praising him as God. Praising him as God. Do we praise him because he relieves the stress? Do we praise him because he changes the scenario? Do we praise him because we went to prayer, we brought these petitions, we spoke humbly but boldly, we were eager to see his work, and then he resolved the whole problem. Now we can praise him. Have you, have you noticed in this psalm, 
something happened between verse 1 and verse 6. And that's not very many verses. In verse 1, it's like, what's your deal, God? Well, how come this? How come you do it here? In verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Do you think David's problems were resolved between 5 and 6? Or 1 and 5? We know nothing. There's no, there's no indication that anything happened circumstantially. But a powerful thing happened relationally. Because David is, is, is expressing what you and I will learn even more to praise him as God. If things go good, I will praise you, God. If I don't understand things, I will praise you, God. If, if it, it, I, I can't even assimilate and imagine and think what could happen in this life. But I will choose now. Well, I have the conscious awareness and the, the emotional moderate state. I will choose you and I will praise you in the storm. I will praise you because, you know, it's not raw determination and self-will. It's just the truth. God, I, I want to praise you. And I believe David could say that because he knew God was faithful. Because he understood God was faithful. You know, we read here recently Psalm 23. And we see in Psalm 23... Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So true, isn't it? God, help me to choose to worship you, to praise you, even when the problems seem to be getting bigger. Because in this life, you will have struggles. You will have tribulation. Jesus said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What does that mean? This isn't the end of the story. Though loved ones will pass. Though heartaches will come. Though you too, very probably, will go through illness, sickness, and the death of this body. This is not the end. This is really the beginning. This is, this worst, this is the worst it gets in this life. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, this is as good as it gets. Seriously, because you, you are choosing to not spend eternity with God. If you're not yet a Christian, you're choosing to be completely separated God for all of eternity. Don't look to Christians to figure out what a Christian is. Look to Christ to know what he's called you to be. So important to know the difference. Let me finish out with some simple things. Do we praise him as God? Regardless of the trials and the troubles, the heartache a heartbreak, we learn to praise God through trials and during storms. That's a learned process. And I think it's very important. I think it's something that our society can't, can't give explanation to. We, they can't reason into, you know, a, a sorrow class or whatever. It's always oriented around, you know, care and not prep. That, that makes sense. I want to ask you, if you've been through heartache or you're going through one now, I want you, before the Lord, to answer this, not uh, to me. I, I'm just an agent to bring this uh, probing question of encouragement. Has your heartache formed you to be more Christ-like? Has your heartache formed you to be more Christ-like? Well, you go, what does Christ-like look like? I mean, is that like some of those portraits where you just glow because there's a good backlight going on and you just got your hair looking cool? Well, obviously that's not what Christ-like would be. Christ-like would be this. 
his disciples came to Jesus. All these people were following, and they'd always went around to this side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And they come to Jesus and said, hey, hey, Jesus, these people have been with us all day. You know, they're hungry. They're absorbing what you've said. They're, they're you know, these disciples, obviously, they have concern and, and care. They say, hey, we need to send them away so they can get something to eat. Maybe you remember the story in the Gospels. But Jesus said this. This is Christ-likeness. Jesus said, the Bible in, Mark, in the Gospel of Mark says that Jesus looked at the multitudes with compassion and seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. It's conveying what he really seen. Where the disciples would say, send them away so they can be taken care of. Christ's likeness says, make yourself available to serve them. You see, because they actually did serve them. He's seen them with compassion. Do you see people with compassion? Do you see that adversary with compassion? Do you see these things? Because that, I believe, is what these things teach us in so many ways. To have compassion. Compassion is an action of love. It's expressed. It's not just a feeling, a sentiment, an emotion. There's an action to it. Jesus had compassion upon the people. And I just want to encourage you, it's, it's possible to go through trials and miss the opportunity to grow. And sometimes you just go another lap around the mountain without, before you grow. And so I encourage you, man, just let God reveal to you. He'll show you maybe sometimes where you're in deficit or maybe even at fault you would figure. He's not showing you that to bring you down. He's bringing you out of that to teach you, hey, listen, I got something for you. Let me show you. Let me, let me help you. So as worship team works their way back up, I want to close together in a uh, passage out of the New Testament. In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, we have the Apostle Paul who went through his own adversity, trials and difficulty that none of us have went through. Because he chose to serve God, he suffered mightily in this world. And at one point, he said to God, you know, God, is there just not something we can do about this? And he says, I prayed three times, Lord, will you take this, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. You get that picture, right? Think goat head and your hand, okay? That's real simple. That's, it's painful. It's like this, it's, it, it's, you can't ignore it. God, I have this thorn in the flesh. Could you take it away and I will serve you more energetically and, and more diligently? God, if you just do this, he didn't answer. And then he prays another way and says, God, in this way, three times, I prayed, Lord, take this away. And the Lord said, I love you, Paul. And I'm accomplishing something in your life that you can't see right now. But it's in your weakness that you rely upon my strength. And because you see now you can't fix it, you're crying out me to me, you're coming closer to me. God didn't ordain and bring the trial upon Paul. God is using a trial that Paul will face to bring him closer to God. So it says, as you can read, let's stand together and we'll read this passage and go into prayer. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul responded, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me.
Let's pray. God, may we have that understanding. May we have that intimacy and closeness with you, God, that we too would declare those things we don't understand, those areas where we're weak, heavy laden and worn out, that we would rely upon you, your strength, that we would understand it, that we would know it in the relationships that are difficult, in the heartbreak of the past, there would be hope. In the things that we cannot fix, we would find strength in you, God. For we know your unmerited favor, your undeserved kindness, that grace that you offer, that you extend, your grace is sufficient for us, Lord. And so, God, we would pray, lead us this day. Direct our steps into a closer walk with you, Jesus. Through the trials, through the difficulties. Oh, God, we need you. Oh, we need you. We sing the song to you, God, with joy and gladness, believing that you who began a good work, you will complete it in our lives for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.